welcome to Heart of the Psalmist, cultivating the heart of creatives. Now, your host, Sharvis Witted. Well, hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Psalmist. This is the show where we're asking God to create in us clean hearts so that we can create for Him. I am so glad I'm humbled that you stop by again and join me for another conversation. And I pray that what you hear today will put you in a position to better serve the body of Christ with your creative gift. I hope you enjoyed my last two episodes. Had some great interviews. If you haven't checked those out, please do so. Episode 26 was an interview with Dr. Angela Mosspool on how we can improve our creative stewardship, how we manage and take care of and properly use the gift that God has given us. And episode 27 was an interview with Minister Omega Forbes, a veteran recording artist and worship leader who gave some practical advice on how musicians and worship leaders can develop better relationships with their pastors and successfully navigate through many of the difficulties that are associated with music and worship ministry. Again, that's episode 26 and 27. Go check those out. Okay, now for today's show. It's going to be solo, just me. And the topic is something that the Lord has been using to renew my mind and to further grow me in who I am in Christ. And it is our portrait of God. I think this is really going to bless you. A portrait is a painting, a photograph, sculpture, or any type of artistic representation of a person. Usually, but not always, it's the face. And the purpose is to show the likeness, the personality, and even at times the mood of that person. And since the beginning, Satan has always sought to distort man's portrait of God, how we see him. He did this to Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, you know, after God gives Adam and Eve instructions, the serpent who is Satan comes and he questions what God tells them. And if you go to chapter 3, verse 4, It says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, it being the tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's put that in layman's terms. Don't trust God. He's a charlatan. He's trying to hold you down and manipulate you for his own selfish purposes. He's dishonest. He's a control freak. Eve, do your own thing. Be God to yourself. Make your own rules. And we know what happened after that. But what preceded the sin was a shift, a distorting of how Eve saw God. From a loving Heavenly Father that she walked in the garden with and fellowship with every day to an untrustworthy control freak. Her picture of God was distorted. And that was why, and that was why she made the decision she made. And you know, Satan is still doing this. Scripture calls him in Revelation 12, 9, the serpent of old who deceives the whole world. In John 8, 44, Jesus says that he is a liar, the father of lies. He has no truth in him. And in fact, he can't tell the truth because it's not in his nature to tell the truth. His nature is full of deceit and lies. He's a thief. He's a killer, a destroyer who constantly seeks an opportunity to devour us. And here's why. Satan understands, I think at times better than us, that our portrait of God 
is the foundation to how we see everything else, how we see and pursue spiritual things. It impacts how we see the Bible. Is it just a book or is it something more? Is it God speaking to us? It impacts how we see creation. It impacts how we see life purpose, even ourselves and others. Satan understands that how we see everything is connected to how we see God. And for this episode, I want to focus on three specific things that relate directly to how we use our creativity to serve God and to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's how we see ourselves, how we see sinners, and how we see saints. Everything goes back to how we see God. And if we don't filter humanity through the word of God, through the eyes of God, through the heart of God, our view of people will be wrong. And that will in turn impact how we create, what we create, and how we minister through our creativity. Let's talk about it. Now, to show you this, I'm going to use the very familiar parable found in Luke chapter 15, prodigal son. Now the prodigal son is actually the third in a series of parables Jesus used to teach the same truth. The first was the parable of the lost sheep, followed by the parable of the lost coin, and then of course the prodigal son. I'm gonna focus on the prodigal son. That's the best one I can use to um, convey to you today's lesson. So let's go to the 15th chapter of Luke. I'm gonna read the first three verses. That establishes the context and shows you why Jesus gave these three parables. Luke 15, 1 reads, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, him being Jesus, to listen to him. Verse 2, Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable saying. So we have the context. Jesus Christ is receiving and spending time with and fellowship and teaching and preaching to tax collectors and sinners. And obviously the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not down with this. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So the parables that Jesus taught were a response to what the Pharisees said about him being around tax collectors and sinners. So we're going to skip all the way down to the parable of the prodigal son, which begins at verse 11. And this is a very familiar story. We have a father who has two sons, a younger son. He leaves the home. He demands his inheritance. He goes out. He wastes it. He finally comes to his senses after his life just falls apart and his father restores him. And his older brother kind of has an issue with that. Now, of course, in this parable, the father represents God. But for a moment, I want to focus on the two sons. The younger son who represents the tax collectors and the sinners and the older son who represents the attitude of the Pharisees concerning the tax collectors and the sinners. And what we see is that both of them, the younger and the older son, have a distorted picture of what their father is like. And it impacts how they behave, how they see themselves and how they see others. Let's start with the younger son. So he has traveled to a distant country. He has squandered his entire estate with loose living. Actually, we learn from his older brother when he returns home that loose living involved spending his money on prostitutes. It's pretty bad. He spent everything he had. 
and then a severe famine occurred in the country he'd gone to, and he became impoverished, so bad that he had to hire himself out, and he fed swine in a field. And it got to the point where he would have even filled his stomach with what the pigs were eating. I mean, the pigs were even eating better than him. He was in a pretty bad position. And then in verse 17, it says that he came to his senses and he says, hey, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread and I'm dying here of hunger? I'm going to get up and go to my father's house and I'm going to say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And verse 19 is key. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now, let's pause for a second and realize what's happening here. This young man, who represents the tax collectors, sinners, is very sinful. He's gone out. He's been involved in sexual immorality. He's really disrespected his father, wasted all of his money. And if you understand anything about the culture back in those days, and even still now in many Eastern cultures, honor is everything. I mean, the honor and shame culture is a big deal. One of the worst things that you could do, especially a son, was bring shame to your family. One of the absolute worst things you can do. So it makes sense culturally for this son to assume that the best that he would get when he came home was to be a hired man. Do you see what happened? What the culture said and all the mistakes that he made had colored his portrait of his father. He saw his father through his mistakes. And he said, there is no way that my father will ever accept me. Now let's look at the response of the father when he comes home. In verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a very long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So we already see that the father's behavior towards this younger son, this sinner, this tax collector, is quite different than what the younger son was expecting. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He repeats the same thing. Make me a hired hand. That is his portrait of his father, but let's look at what his father says in verse 22. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son. He calls him a son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found. And they began to celebrate. Isn't that amazing? That while the younger son had a picture of God that to him was just so accurate that he would go home and his father would scold him and be so embarrassed with him that he would lower him to the position of a servant. And yet when he actually encountered his father, he found something completely different that was countercultural, that was different than what he assumed. His father did not condemn him. He saved him. He received him. He restored him. And that he put a robe on him and gave him a ring and sandals is very significant. Servants in your home didn't wear sandals from my research back then. And to put on the robe and the ring was a sign of authority and position in a home. So what this indicates is that not only did his father receive him, 
and love him and show him compassion, he completely restored him to the position of a son and gave him authority. You see how the portrait that we have of God impacts how we see ourselves. And this is often an issue with many people who don't know Christ. They believe and assume that their lives are too stained with the mud of the country that they've been in. They're too immoral and they're too sinful. But what this parable shows us is that no matter how immoral, no matter how sinful you have been, there is a God whose love goes beyond all of it. And if you come to him, come to your senses and come to him, you will not find condemnation. You will find acceptance, love, compassion, and he will make you a son and a daughter of God. Now, just imagine for a moment, my fellow creative, if when we ministered to those who don't know Christ and had this perspective, what would our ministry be like? How differently would we write songs? How would it impact the way that we ministered and the way that we sung? If this type of love that is already in us in the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, because the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad upon us in our hearts. And if we renew our mind to the truth of Scripture and allow this love of God that is already in our spirits to flow out and be made manifest in our lives, how would that impact the way that we use our creativity to minister to the lost? And also, you know, as believers in Christ, sometimes we find ourselves in this position, though we are saved, feeling like we are unworthy because we messed up. And actually, what I'm about to show you about the older son who represents the church will help you with that as well. So let's take a look at the way that the older son responds. Take a look at verse 27. So the older brother was in the field when all of this happened. And he comes home and he hears all this music and singing and he summons one of the servants and essentially asks, what is going on? Then the servant tells him in verse 27, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was to see them back safe and sound. In verse 28, he becomes angry. He's indignant, kind of like those Pharisees and scribes. And he was unwilling to come in and celebrate his brother coming home. So his father comes out and pleased with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, I mean, he just was sinful. He's unworthy. You killed a fattened calf for him. Sounds a lot like those religious leaders who were scolding Jesus Christ in their hearts for being around tax collectors and sinners. Wait a minute, we're the chosen people. We're Abraham's children. What's going on? But look at verse 31. The father said to him, son, I want you to bookmark that, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now, this was something I saw that I had not seen before. Now, consider the attitude of this son. And this is often, unfortunately, the attitude that sometimes us church folk can have, right? But I want you to notice that just as the father did not withhold sonship from the younger son when he was wrong, 
neither did he remove it from the older son and his response. Because in verse 31, the first thing he says to him is, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. I want to read that again. Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. One of the things that happens often when you're serving in ministry, especially when you're doing creative arts ministry, really any ministry, you're going to have conflict sometimes with your brethren in Christ. Sometimes you're going to be wrong and sometimes you're going to come across people who behave just like these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. But here's a question I want to ask you. How do you see them? Do you allow their behavior, which is wrong, to shift the way that you see them? Or do you continue to see them the way God does? Let me give it a prime example of this. The book of 1 Corinthians. If you read that book, pretty quickly you realize that Paul is addressing a lot of problems that these believers are having. I mean, right from the jump, he talks about how he heard that there were divisions among them. You keep reading the book, he calls them babes in Christ, so they're not maturing. You keep reading the book, you find out that they are taking each other to court. You find out that there was some gross immorality in the congregation. There was a son who was sleeping with his father's wife, probably his stepmother. They weren't using the spiritual gifts right. Looks like there was some boasting. They weren't using their gifts to edify. There was disorder in the corporate context in worship. So there were a lot of problems going on. But I want you to look at the beginning of this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. It says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, listen to this carefully, to those who have been sanctified in Christ. And then he uses a very important word, saints, by calling, saints. And that word saints literally translates holy ones. Now, this is very interesting. When Paul wrote this letter, he was obviously aware of all the issues, that there was division, that there was sexual immorality, that they were babes, that they were misusing the gifts in the corporate worship context, that they were taking each other to court, and yet he still saw them the way God did. Those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Here's something that we have to avoid when we're serving with one another in creative arts ministry. There's going to be conflict. Your brethren in Christ are going to make mistakes. Some people are going to be flat out wrong. You got to address those things. But the starting point has to always be how God sees them and what God has made them in Christ Jesus. You see, when we get saved, we're made holy instantly. And it's not anything that we have done. It's what Jesus Christ gives us. His holiness is imputed to us. His righteousness is imputed to us. We become holy and righteous on the basis of what he did. He makes us righteous. So now when God looks at us, he doesn't base our holiness on what we do. We are holy. And then what we do as we renew our mind to scripture and the process of discipleship, we learn to walk in holiness. But listen, we're not walking in holiness to be declared holy. That's already been done. We're walking in holy so that we can learn to live out what we already are. It's almost like a human being. When a child is born, they're a human being. There's nothing they have to do to be human. The fact that they went through the normal 
gestation process and were born constitutes them being a human being. And then as they grow, they learn to live as a human being correctly, but they're still human. If they make a mistake, they're still human. Same thing with believers in Christ. This is why Paul calls them babes in Christ. They're still in Christ. They're still sanctified. They're still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They're still the redeemed. They just need to grow up and learn how to walk that out. Often that isn't a starting point for us. We don't see people the way that God does because we allow their mistakes and their errors to color how God sees them. We assume that God sees them the way that we do through their mistakes. But when God looks at us, the first thing he sees is our connection to Jesus Christ. Our lives are hidden in him. It's no longer we that live, but Christ that lives in us. So they're righteous. And when we see each other that way, we can more easily do what Paul tells us to do in the book of Galatians. Paul, after talking about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh, says in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, check this out, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But you see, that's hard to do if I don't see you the way God does. If the starting point for my evaluation of my brother in Christ is my brother in Christ, rather than how God sees him, I'm going to get it wrong every time. But if my starting point is how God sees the believer, someone who is in Christ, someone who is sanctified and righteous, not on the basis of works, but by the faith they have put into Jesus Christ. They've been born again and God has made them righteous. If that is the starting point, then I'm going to approach my brother differently. Now it's not about condemning and just calling out sin for the sake of calling out sin, but it's about me restoring. And this is exactly the response that the older son got from his father. I believe this with all my heart, that even though this older son did not have the right perspective, nonetheless, the father's perspective of him did not change. He did not strip away sonship from him. He still called him a son. And I just wonder out there today that if we as creatives and all of our creative endeavors would allow the word of God to renew our minds so that we can see God the right way and allow that to transform how we see not only ourselves and our brethren in Christ, but those we minister to who don't know Christ, how much differently would we minister? I think we'd condemn a whole lot less and aim to restore. I think we'd write different songs. I think we'd be a bit more patient in praise and worship. We won't be so demanding for a response so that we can feel like we've done something, but there'd be some patience. I think there'd be a bit more long-suffering and kindness and love, all because we've torn down the incorrect portrait of God and allowed the Word of God to give us the right portrait to renew our mind. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to dig into the Word of God like never before. And I want you to no longer allow what has happened in your life, what the culture says, 
But I want you to get into the word of God and allow it to show you what God is really like, because that's the only thing that God has given us. The word of God shows us how Jesus lived. And Jesus said that if you've seen him, you've seen the father. The apostle Paul said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ is the brightness of his glory and the exact representation of the father's nature. If you want to know how God really sees people, how he sees you, how he sees saints, and how he sees sinners, you have to start with the word of God and Jesus Christ. For there you find a portrait of a loving God who no matter what you have done, he will receive you as a son and as a daughter if you just come to him. Well, that's all for today's show. A little different episode, but I do pray that you got something out of it. So go get into the word of God Don't let the enemy distort your portrait of God because everything hinges on it. Get into the word of God. Let your mind be renewed so that you can see God the right way. Because when that happens, you see people the right way. And the way that you minister will be altered forever. Take care. See you guys in two weeks. God bless. (music) 